0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. If the past month is any indicator, acquisitions are not only thawing but heating up. In October, Comcast made a bid to merge its operations with NBC Universal to create a cable programming giant. In early November... Kraft Foods announced a $16.5 billion bid for UK-based chocolate maker Cadbury, also being sought by confectionery companies Hershey and Ferrero. The activity spans several sectors, including technology, with Hewlett-Packard's agreement to purchase 3Com for $2.7 billion and Google's $750 million acquisition of mobile advertising startup AdMob. What's behind this shopping spree, and is the trend likely to continue? Knowledge at Wharton spoke with Wharton management professor Larry Rabiniak and finance professor Pavel Savor about M&A strategy in a post-recession environment.
1: The M&A market seems to be heating up. Does this surprise either of you, or or does it make sense in terms of where the economy is at? Larry?
2: I'm not surprised. Uh, You can see it heating up. We've had a terrible recession, and Uh, during that recession, what happened? Companies hunkered in, they saved money, they cut costs, they laid off people, they didn't have many opportunities to to spend, really, and they just tried to pull back. The recession almost created a kind of forced savings. You know, a lot of big companies uh, generated cash and held on to cash. And so now that things seem to be perking up. It's like, wow, let's take a move. Let's move quickly. Let's start using that cash. We need growth. Organic growth is going to be too slow. We, we, we have pressure to grow. And what's the fastest way to grow? Uh, merges acquisitions. Do things. Take that cash you've, you've built up. Banks are beginning to lend. Uh, lend money. The credit markets are perking up a little bit for companies with solid balance sheets. So, yeah, I, I, I see that things are perking up, and in fact, we can expect activity to continue.
3: So, so I I'd agree with Larry. I think uh, companies have been hunkering down. They've seen in, I guess, the last quarter of 2008 uh, what the world would look like without access to financial markets, and it scared them greatly. Uh, So they avoided anything risky. It could have been psychological as well. I guess if we're all scared, the CEOs are scared as well. Uh, So there was this maybe pent-up demand uh, for targets by by some acquirers uh, that is now being uh, met when financial markets have uh, opened a little bit, uh, uh, both in terms of debt markets and in terms of equity markets. I think companies now see, well, maybe we will not be cut off uh, for the next five years uh, and then they feel emboldened to do to do some deals. I think they're still different uh, uh, than what we've seen over the few years before the economic crisis uh, that uh, that fear will stay. I think uh, companies will not do anything that will uh, hurt their credit ratings that will really uh, put on a lot of risk in terms of integration risk. Uh, they're still thinking valuations are low so they're reluctant to use equity. Uh, Anything all that will stay uh, with us at least for a few years.
2: If I could hitchhike on one point uh, you mentioned, I I, I can mention something too, the psychological side of it. It seems that people were reluctant to do things. It was almost a kind of, well, who's going to go first? There's a fear factor. Now that people are beginning to acquire, I call this before, uh, as we were chatting jokingly, a kind of rush to imitate. There was some data I saw who was at one of the websites. I think it was uh, Tech crunch or whatever, showed that in a three or four-month period, uh, there was a six 700% increase in merger and act, uh, M&A activity over three, four months. So if it's like once zero, it starts, you can't <laughs> be left behind. Everyone's doing it. Let's go. So I'm hitchhiking on your psychological point that it's going to feed uh, companies, I think, who want to do some things now.
1: Would you say overall, though, that the, the deals uh, that are happening now are different from deals uh, that that happened before the crisis? Are companies more strategic, or is this sort of just jumping on the growth bandwagon?
2: Well, they're jumping on the bandwagon, but I also think it's more strategic. A couple of things, one thing I should have mentioned before, given the troubles over the past uh, what year or so, there's been a decline in uh, private equity firms. The amount of private equity has gone down. In the past, when the bubble existed, private equity money was chasing uh, uh, acquisitions chasing things and and making companies maybe uh, react quickly because they were under pressure to close deals before private equity came in and did an LBO or did something now with the decline in private equity funding companies can look more strategically and say uh, I'm not under as much pressure and given the better climate I now can be more strategic one other thing I'll mention regarding strategy they'll be more strategic but I think for example I would predict that you would see a lot more, what, horizontal expansion, related diversifications, companies trying to build on their strengths that, for example, banks are lending, but I'm not sure if banks are going to jump in and start funding unrelated diversifications. What they see is maybe more risky diversifications going into different markets. So I think the recession is creating a kind of strategic thrust, but a look for businesses that are consistent with capabilities, core capacity, whatever you want to call it. I mean, if you look at Kraft, Cadbury, if you look at Stanley, Black & Decker, uh, Disney, Marvel, they're building on things. You know, look at Disney, Marvel. It's like building a superhero uh, capability, building on it. You have it already, you build more. And so I think we're going to see a lot more related diversifications and fewer, at least for a while, uh, unrelated diversifications, LBOs, and more risky ventures, I would guess. And, Pavel, how about you? Do you see any differences?
3: Well, I, I, I'd agree that we're going to see many fewer these transformative deals that we've seen in the past. Of uh, Firms, I think, are still too scared to do it, uh, and the banks may not fund it even if they tried. Uh, there's also a lot of difference on the financing side, uh, uh, which is now a, a big consideration. Now you see even firms that have a lot of unused debt capacity that could borrow from banks uh, just being very careful uh, how they do this. Uh, I mean, Comcast uh, is a definition of a cash cow I- in my mind, uh, at least I guess going by my cable bill. Uh, and uh, uh, when they are bidding now for NBC, uh, it's very careful. They are contributing assets, uh, only some cash, and that's only for half the purchase price. The rest is going to be paid over time, depending on performance, and mostly coming from uh, NBC uh, itself. Uh, so, so that is a big consideration, it seems. But that on the other side, limits uh, the universe of firms you ca- you can go after. Uh, I think public for public is still going to be uh, quite hard, because there you have to offer some type of relatively fixed consideration, just give shareholders stock, cash, or some combination thereof. These more contingent payments uh, are harder to pull off. Uh, but that's exactly what, what firms, I think, would like to do nowadays when there's still a lot of uncertainty about uh, what's going to happen going forward. Uh, you know, Comcast paying paying GE contingently, depending on performance on NBC, is great. Uh, they can do a deal they could not do otherwise if they disagreed about what's going to happen with the economy. You can't do that with a million shareholders. Uh, so... Uh, those deals may still be harder to pull off.
2: Two things I agree with about Comcast. My bill suggests they're making a lot of money also. But I was recently with Comcast. I spent some time with them at the end of September uh, before going off to Europe on another job. And they're optimistic about this. But something interesting came up. Yes, they do have cash. But on the other side of what you said, GE which had been very, very diversified company, got hit very hard during the recession. So not only looking at the buyer side, but the seller side, GE has to sort of pull back. They've been very diversified. They are willing, and I think other companies like GE perhaps are willing, to get rid of non-performing assets. And so the buyer has money, Comcast, they're looking for stuff. But GE is saying, wow, there are certain businesses we should get rid of, like their security business that they're thinking of getting rid of, that NBC, that there are certain properties that are feeding this now, that the recession caused problems for them. And so indirectly, it's fueling the M&A on the seller side by making them much more prone to look at selling off assets.
1: Uh, do you agree with the perception that, this is, that these are bargains? And if so, uh, how long would this bargain market last if everyone starts jumping into the fray? <laughs> Uh, again, that, that's a harder question. The future is always harder uh,
3: to predict. Uh, I wouldn't say they're bargains. Uh, uh, they seem moderately priced. Uh, it's uh, If you have a vigorous recovery in the general economy, it is going to be a bargain. Uh, but uh, do these uh, bids look very cheap by some valuation ratios? No. They actually look reasonably expensive. Uh, when things were really cheap in March, uh, everyone was too too paralyzed to do anything. Uh, now valuations are much higher. The stock market went up by by sixty by percent, uh, uh, where only what thirty percent of the peak. It's, uh, I, it it to, in my mind, that, that those don't look like bargains. But that is, I think, a question that's more related to to the general view on uh, on the economy than M and A market in particular. If you're going to participate in the M and A market. Uh, at a certain point in time, you just have to uh, accept that current stock market valuations are, uh, are at least fair. If you think targets are overvalued, uh, you're just, you just cannot do deals. Even though economically they look good, the price you'd have to pay uh, would not justify
2: those. The question of bargains is an ex-post issue. Yes, yes. If they, yes, so if they 15, buy the company, years, so. integrate it well, do all the right things to bring it about, then we'll be able to judge if it's a bargain. But I, I agree with you, uh, absolutely.
1: And is there some sort of residual effect that this, this uptick in activity will have on the recovery in general? I mean, how will this affect Wall Street, the fact that there's an increase in M&A activity? Besides, Besides the, the fees, fact that yeah, they get more fees, there's more
2: confidence, there's more activity. Uh, people like to see activity. They like to see especially large uh, firms getting involved here. It shows confidence. And so that might carry over. We see the market going up. Now, we have other issues, of course, too. I mean, basically, we have currency issues, gold, silver, right? I mean, the value of the dollar. There's a lot of other things besides M&A that are going to affect optimism, that are going to affect what happens. So, again, it's a kind of wait and see. But generally speaking, I think it will affect the market to some degree.
3: The market just last, likes to see big deals. Uh, firms have some proprietary information. Typically, they have customer order flow, on-the-ground presence uh, uh, if they become optimistic and there's hardly a better signal than them willing to put money on the line to, to buy something and take on that risk, of course investors are going to be uh, more more optimistic as well. It, it's purely rational. If you say, look, Warren Buffett, he knows what is happening. He's in touch uh, with a lot of businesses, and he thinks it's a good time to buy a railroad. Yeah. That is telling you something at least about what one informed investor thinks, thinks is going on. Uh, that will make you maybe more likely to buy, to buy stocks. Uh, uh, now, whether this is some feedback loop, the stock market goes up, the CEOs are more optimistic, they buy, uh, the market becomes more optimistic, that, that's more speculative. Uh,
1: uh, turning back to the strategy side, let's look at one case in point, which would be Cadbury, very much in the news uh, this week. Uh, what would a company like Kraft be hoping to gain by acquiring Crab- uh, Cadbury with its $16 billion bid?
2: Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, uh, quick growth. I mean, basically, they're related very much in certain product lines that, in fact, it would be quick growth. It would be an, in, an increase in international expansion. They're getting international markets that they don't have right now. And in fact, that would be a big plus for them. And so I think it's an expansion. It's, it's size. It's growth. It's, it's an acquisition, but you're... To them, it's almost, almost, in part, a kind of organic growth, building on what they do well. And so uh, I think it's a pretty good move for them, especially given the international expansion that they anticipate. And Cabaret is big in India and Latin America. Yeah, correct. absolutely. And so it uh, – and and craft isn't. So they're looking – a lot of their business, their traditional business, has been um, uh, slowing down. The What is it, the grocery and other side? It's, it's a different world out there. They have to do it.
1: And now uh, Hershey and Ferrero are, are joining the fray and putting together their own counterbid. Um, would they be looking to gain the same kinds of things, or do you think there's a difference? I think two there?
2: things. One is they're trying to get the same gains, because I, th- I think people think Hedberg is an interesting target, that they uh, want to get some of the same gains. And we go back to the imitation thing before. You have a major competitor making a move. And you look at that move and judge it and think if they get Cadbury, uh, Hershey, Mars, and the others basically Nestle worldwide, in fact, might be hit a bit by a larger organization that's willing to move. And so part of it might be to slow things down, to limit competitors' options, to make it a little more difficult for Kraft to do it. Plus, they got signals from Cadbury that Cadbury didn't like this hostile takeover. So it could very well be that they're saying, hey, let's throw our hat in the ring and see what happens because we might benefit – you know, Kraft has done some due diligence saying uh, Cadbury's okay, let's build on it, let's assume they're right, and take a look at the same deal. So, so I, I think it's a clearly a strategic response. Uh, it's uh,
3: If two of your major competitors uh, are planning to, to merge, uh, you could think this will have a negative effect on my uh, own operations. Uh, so, so you respond almost because your hand is in a Way There's an optimistic interpretation, which is, well, look, uh, others are doing deals, let's jump in. It could just be uh, avoidance uh, of future problems. Well, we'd rather see see Cadbury remain independent, but now we know it's not happening, Uh, so uh, let's move. And you do see this a lot uh, historically in industries that are dominated by a few big competitors. Uh, The ones that are left behind, Really worry about becoming too small to compete, becoming targets themselves. uh, uh, So they engage in these bidding wars uh, for for available targets. And once someone makes a bid for you, like in the case of Canterbury Craft, uh, you're on the market. Everyone knows it, Uh, and uh, perhaps jumping in, especially if the initial acquire was met uh, not not met with, uh, I guess, friendliness at least. uh, Uh, you know you have some advantage uh, over them. Uh, As Larry said, Cadbury is just not happy with Kraft right now. Uh, They may make it easier for other acquirers, Uh, not in terms of purely price. I think that's hard. Uh, Shareholders ultimately uh, take the highest price on the table. But in terms of a lot of other uh, other stuff, information they would offer prospective buyers, uh, how friendly the board is going to be, Uh, a lot of the other... Things you negotiate in mergers like uh, reps and warranties, uh, uh, all the other terms. Uh, So, so yes, uh, uh, especially if you think a target that's on the market is looking for a white knight, uh, this, this may be a great move.
1: In general, is an acquisition a good way to enter new markets globally?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the fastest way. You know, if you look at direct foreign investment as a strategy, I mean, it's much slower and harder to do, obstacles to overcome. If you can acquire someone, a good property, quickly, and pay a reasonable price, it's the fastest way, of course, yes, to enter foreign markets.
3: I I, I just second that. You cannot grow more quickly, typically, than by doing M&A. Big acquisition Uh, can double the size of your company. Organic growth uh, cannot do that uh, almost ever.
1: What kinds of strategy considerations would you say these companies have to sort of keep their their eyes on in terms of the post merger integration phase uh, are there are there going to be certain um, hurdles that wouldn't have been there ordinarily because of the fragile economy
2: i I think a, a, many of the hurdles exist regardless of the fragile economy basically if one is acquiring a firm. One has to look at the uh, integration of the firm. One has to take a look at uh, the things that are done to implement that strategy to make it work. And some questions are going to pop up. Now, before I said that, maybe we'll see a lot more horizontal diversifications. If that's true, uh, that raises – let's use that as an example – might raise some interesting issues. For example, if I buy companies that are sort of like me and I'm building on my capabilities, if there's some resemblance, it's a horizontal diversification – Uh, That means that, for example, what I'm looking for, it may be synergies, cost reductions, a combination of product lines, structural change, because we look alike, we're, we're in some of the same market. So by doing a kind of safer, what we think is safer, horizontal growth, I might get realize some additional implementation issues that come up, how to meld two structures together, how to pull things together when... Well, no one wants any more layoffs, for example, but if I'm trying to reduce costs and, and a reduction in manpower is on my list, I have to step on this very carefully because we just came through a recession where we had layoffs and unemployment's high. So I might not get those synergies and those cost uh, reductions right away. Integration. If I buy an unrelated company, I leave it alone as a separate entity. There's very little integration needed. Culture almost, almost doesn't come into play. But if I have a company that's like me, I have to worry about cultural considerations, melding two companies, keeping both sides happy, management, who's going to run the show. A lot of things are going to come up. Most of these are typical execution or implementation issues, but there might be a few, for example, related to horizontal diversification that are related to the type of diversification we see from this recession.
1: And, Pavel, how about you? Any kind of landmines you foresee?
3: I'm an economist. We just assume integration happens, <laughs> so we, we don't do uh, anything. But, but I, I think Larry is very right. It's uh, When you do a deal, you're bearing a lot of risks. Uh, are you overpaying? Is the target overvalued? Uh, are the synergies that you propose to harvest really there? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're also bearing this more idiosyncratic risk, which is integration risk. Uh, and although people in finance... Uh, have a lot of work showing that horizontal deals, uh, deals between related firms, tend to do best, perhaps because synergies are really there. Uh, integration risk seems to be the, the highest there. Right? Larry l- 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 described it all. It's uh, look, I'm buying a completely unrelated business in China. What do I do? I install some controls, maybe send over a new CEO, and that's it. Now, if I buy a company that does exactly the same thing that I do in a different market, well, now, now we cut costs, which means firing people. Now our managers do think we know best exactly how to manage the, the target. So there may be a lot of turnover uh, among uh, senior management as well. Uh, that all complicates things. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, bearing this uh, idiosyncratic in the sense that it may not depend fully on what the markets or the economy as a whole do, uh, but... Uh, if, if those don't work out if you if you don't integrate then w- w- why do a deal in the first place i guess
1: right right and is there a typical sort of benchmark timeline for uh for, for when firms actually have a good sense of whether or not these are are you know valuable deals? I think you mentioned it would take about two years before you'd know if it was even a bargain.
3: <laughs> uh, I was talking more. you see where the stock market went and how it kind of went up there for it It could have been cheap uh it, it, i think it take it takes a while. I mean, firms have a very, very short horizon to act. Uh, that, I think, is the anecdotal wisdom, is to the extent we're changing something uh, within the target firm or our own firm, we have to move quickly because the deal creates this sense of urgency. Everyone's uh, uh, everyone's involved. If we wait to do the painful things, we'll never do them. Uh, but when do you say this was a success or this was a failure? That takes I think, a long, long time. I mean, these are long, long-lived long investments. So you, you buy and you see where the synergies were really there. Uh, you see what public competitors do of the target uh, over time. So you see maybe I bought it in a good time at a bad time. It takes a while to reveal itself. I think the finance people don't even look, look, at, look at deals to evaluate them until the three or five years have passed. We just think it's too early, you can't say anything.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Only thing I might add is that we have shareholders and others who are looking for quicker response. And so what companies will try to do, given the fact you've just mentioned, it's, it's all true, is that they'll try typically to uh, look at certain metrics, shorter-term metrics, what might be called low-hanging fruit, things that they can do quickly to turn and say, wow, this is successful. So that's to keep the shareholders and others basically saying, yeah, it might have been a good deal, but I agree that, in fact, most uh, the evaluation, most of the evaluation has to occur after a few years when they've had a chance to work together and we take a look at competitive conditions. Are they gaining market share? Whatever it is, it's just, are they profitable? It takes a little while, but companies always try to give you some quick feedback. Wow, this was a great deal.
1: And given all the activity, um, do you foresee the 2010 being a very active deal year, Pavel? We'll, we'll
3: see uh, that, 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 uh, that's hard, hard to predict. I think it will depend largely uh, on what the economy and the, and the capital markets do. Uh, if the recovery continues, if the, if the unemployment at least stops dropping, the economy restarts its growth and we see no more shocks in the capital markets, it could be a very active year. But we do, need, I think, need both of those. Uh, for now, this has been kind of a capital markets-led recovery that the same way it was led on the downside, Uh, capital markets have really come a long way since March, and that was only, what, eight months ago. Uh, If they maintain that progress, uh, uh, and again, the economy picks up, uh, we could see a lot of deals. uh, uh, Unless both of those conditions are met, unless the economy does catch up to the the capital markets, uh, I don't think it will be an overly active year.
2: I basically concur. I think it's hard to predict. Given what we see now, we seem to see a kind of trend that optimism is creeping in and that people want to make deals. So if you look just at that, you can extrapolate and say, yeah, maybe it will continue. But I agree fully. It all depends on what happens to the capital markets, whether we hit any shocks, what happens to the dollar, what happens to, I mean, there are other things that probably will enter. But my gut feeling is if things continue as they are, we'll see a, a decent year. Capital markets still a
3: reasonably shallow. Uh, uh, We do see banks lending a little bit more. We do see bond issuance, but very few firms, apart from financial firms, and there the government is implicitly standing behind them, we haven't seen these huge uh, debt offerings uh, uh, or huge bank loans being taken out. Uh, Whether that's possible or not, uh, I guess we don't know at this point. Uh, If uh, someone came up to their banks and said, we're doing this deal, where we're doubling in size, can you finance? uh, and the answer may well be no. Uh, We're just not willing to take on that much risk.
1: Good. Well, thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.